Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 85, verse 6. Psalm 85, verse 6. Just reading the one verse this morning, and we'll be talking about revival. Psalm 85, verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the privilege to know you as our Savior. And yet, Lord, we know that living the Christian life, sometimes we become a little far from you and far as far as fellowship is concerned. Sometimes things come into our life that make us cool down for Christ, and we're not as fervent as we used to be. And Lord, we know that in every Christian's life, there is need at times for revival. We've scheduled a revival meeting, Lord, in another week. And uh, we schedule a meeting, but we really can't schedule revival. Only you can bring that. And so, Lord, as the psalmist said in this, this text today, wilt, that not, wilt thou not revive us again? So, Lord, I pray for that you might revive us as God's people, that we'd be more than, than what we have been, we'd be more like you, and that we'd be used of you in a greater way. I just pray, Lord, that you might grant to our church revival and help us as we look at those things today concerning revival. And I pray if there's somebody here that's not saved, I pray they would understand they don't need to be revived. They need to be made alive by you because they're dead in trespasses and sins. And when they trust Christ, you will come in and dwell in them and you'll make them a new creature. And so, Lord, I pray for them today that they might trust the Lord as their Savior. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text this morning, we hear the psalmist cry out, Wilt thou not revive us again? He realized that revival comes from God and would require, as you look in the verses following that verse, it would require uh, his mercy, his salvation, his truth, his righteousness, and his peace. He reminds us of what Habakkuk said in the Old Testament a book, Habakkuk. He was a prophet, and he said this, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Both the psalmist and Habakkuk realized that Israel had strayed away from their God and was in need of revival. And so it is today. God's people many times need revival. Revival is often prayed for, talked about, planned for, and even scheduled, but seldom seen. It's greatly need and sometimes greatly wanted, but it's seldom experienced. Revival never comes from man, and since man is so dependent upon man to get what he wants, therefore revival is very rarely experienced. But even though revival is rare, that does not mean that it, is, that it is extinct. Revival can still happen. It has happened in the past, and it can happen again. That means the Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church can experience revival. We should experience revival, and um, we will experience revival if we do as God commands us to do. So let's ask today what the psalmist asks. He said, Lord, will you revive us again? And I want you today, right now, in your, where you sit there, if you know Jesus as your Savior, to pray to God and ask that, Lord, 
Will you revive me? Would you make me more what I should be for Jesus Christ? Now, since we've asked for revival, I want us to talk about a few things concerning revival. You probably have an outline this morning. I put it in most of the bulletins, I think. And, and the outline, the first point is this, the essence of revival. The word essence means the intrinsic nature or quality of something. Uh, what, is, what, acts, what actually is revival? Well, first of all, we have to revive, remember that revival is for God's people. You don't revive a nation. The United States, we know, needs revival, we might say. But we don't really mean by that that the, the nation and the uh, politics needs revival. We mean by that 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 revival needs to come, and it will come through God's people. God revives his people because people outside of Jesus are dead in trespasses and sins. And they don't know Jesus as their Savior. And to be revived, they can't be revived because they're not alive. And so a Christian is the one who can have new life again and experience that life, that transforming power being controlled by the Spirit. So revival is for God's people. Psalm 85, 6, our text verse says this, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice? So it's God's people that need revived. Psalm 138, verse 7 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. And Habakkuk said, Revive thy work. So it's God's people who are revived. Revival means coming back to life, experiencing the life that we already have in Christ. But because of sin, sometimes that life is dampened or not, it's not shown as much as it should be. It's like we're the light of the world, but sometimes our our light gets dim because of sin. And we're the salt of the earth, but sometimes we lose our saltiness because of sin. And so revival means coming back to life and vibrancy. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7, the Lord said something in verse 37 through 39. In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, what's he mean by that? How, is, uh, how is, uh, does he experience rivers of living water? He says, but, he spake, but this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. They hadn't yet, because Jesus had not yet gone into heaven. For the Holy Ghost was not given yet, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But when they trusted Christ as their Savior, they would receive the Holy Spirit, and then they would have rivers of, flowing, rivers of water flowing out of their soul. There would be that vibrancy that was brought by new life. And so the Lord says that uh, many times we, as Christians, get our lamp uh, dimmed. We, sin seems to cut down on the vibrancy in our life, and we need to be controlled by the Spirit and so that we can have that again. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. He gives that rivers of water of life, and yet we grieve him by not obeying him, and therefore we fail to experience that vibrancy in our life, and we need revival. So revival means coming back to life. A yielding to the Spirit of God makes a change in our life. Instead of coldness, there's warmness. Instead of bondage, there's liberty. Instead of defeat, there's victory. 
Instead of staleness, there's freshness. Instead of sadness, there's happiness. Instead of loneliness, there's fellowship. Instead of unhappiness, there's joy. Instead of barrenness, there's fruitfulness. Instead of fear, there's boldness. Instead of nervousness, there's confidence. Instead of pessimism, there's optimism. You see, many Christians sometimes become cold. We become uh, uh, defeated. We become discouraged. We're sad. We're lonely. And uh, we're not very fruitful. We're unhappy. And all those things can change if we yield to the Spirit of God, and that's what revival is. So God wants us to come back to a full enjoyment of the Holy Spirit, the river of life that flows in our lives on a daily basis. So that's the essence of revival, submitting to the Spirit of God, allowing Him to bring that freshness again in our life, and it will be seen by other people. And then there's the entrance of revival. What about the entrance of revival? Uh, Where does that come from? Well, the Bible says, first first of all, revival does come from God. And uh, Habakkuk cried out to God for revival. The psalmist cried out to God for revival. So revival comes from God. Preachers can't bring revival. We don't expect Brother Barry Daniel to bring in his briefcase revival. He can't do it. A special singer can't bring revival. You could have a wonderful singing group, but they will not bring revival. Your friends can't revive you. In fact, you can't revive yourself. Revival comes from God. It definitely comes from God. Now, it also comes in response to prayer. There's an interesting thing I found in the Scripture, and that is there's a formula that God uses several times in the Word of God, and it's the seek and find principle or promise. Seek and find. Let me share some of those with you. Deuteronomy 4, 29. But if, if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. First Chronicles 28, verse 9. David said to Solomon, If thou seek him, he, shall, he will be found of thee. You've got to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles 7, 14, that great verse on revival. If my people which are called by my, my, my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. You seek and the Lord responds. Second Chronicles 15 verse 2, Azariah said to Asa, The Lord is with you while ye be with him, and if, he, and if ye seek him, he will, will be found of you. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, concerning the time after the Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah said this, And ye shall seek me and find me. So you see the importance of that. You seek and you find. And so uh, revival comes in response to seeking the Lord. Hosea 10, verse 12, to to the rebellious house of Israel, Hosea said, It is a time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Hebrews 11, verse 6, He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Seek the Lord and he shall be found. James 4, verse 8, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Matthew 7, we remember that passage, verses 7 to 8, and says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And you remember Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So revival 
comes from God and it comes in response to prayer. We seek and we find. God wants us to enjoy his presence, his face. But we must ask and we must seek, we must desire to have revival. So we'll not have revival in our church unless you really want it. You'll not have revival in your individual life and you really want, unless you really want it. And if you really want it and know where it comes from, it comes from God, then you'll talk to God about it and seek it, and you'll try, call out to the Lord. And the Bible says in James chapter 4, you remember the Lord reminds us, ye have not because ye ask not. So if we don't have revival, it's not be, it won't be God's fault. It comes from him. He wants to give us revival, but he says you must seek and you, you will find. Also, revival comes in response to faith. Not only in response to prayer, but in response to faith. Deuteronomy 4.29 says it like this, But if thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You're seeking, seeking the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. That's faith. Uh, just calling on him is one thing, but actually believing Believing with all your heart and all your soul, you desire that. Jeremiah 29, 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall, seek, when ye shall search with me for me with all your heart. James 1, 6. Let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Faith is very important. And Hebrews eleven six says this. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there he tells us what faith really is. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And then he says he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. So faith means not just asking, but you really desire it with all of your heart and you believe the Lord and you call upon him believing and the Lord says faith will result in, in revival. So prayer and faith are very important in the entrance of revival. Now, the essentials of revival. I've written those down in your outline. And I know you can mention several things, but I've just sort of um, condensed it to this. First of all, an honest heart. You must come to the Lord with an honest heart. You cannot fool God. You can't deceive God and make him think that you're all right, all right when you're not. You must come to God with an honest heart. We must confess our sin to him. Confess means to agree with God. You agree with God that you've sinned. So you know that, maybe you know as a Christian that you're not what you used to be. You know, you're not as vibrant as you used to be. You're not as excited as you used to be. You don't have as much joy as you used to have. You're not as easy or, or ready to uh, share the gospel with somebody like you used to be able to do that. And you know there's a need of a change in your life. You know that you need to be revitalized. You know that there needs to be new life there. And so you have to come to the Lord with an honest heart. And you have to say, Lord, I admit to you I've sinned. I know there are things in my life that are not like they should be, and that's why I'm in the condition that I'm in. And so you must come to the Lord with an honest heart. You remember 2 Chronicles seven fourteen says, Turn from their wicked ways. And so you realize that you're, you've sinned. First John 1, 1 verses 5 through 10 uh, tells us about sin in the Christian's life and how we are to deal with that. And it says this in 1 John 1, 5, 
This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Is there any darkness in any of us? Is there any failures that we don't tell anybody about? We know them, but, and God knows them, but we don't even tell God about them. God wants us to admit it, to come to him and confess it to him. If we say that we fellowship, have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we, do, we lie and do not the truth. If there are secret things going on in your life that you know are wrong and nobody else knows it, but God knows it, then don't deceive yourself and say you're walking in the light because you're not. And the reason you need revival is because of that thing that you're putting up with, you're participating with, that thing is wrong and you've got to take care of it, so you have to admit it to God. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and with the blood and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. Now this is this is for Christians. This is not the way you get saved. The way you get saved is not to confess your sins as we said recently. The way to get saved is to trust what Jesus did for you. But for a Christian, we have sin in our life. And so we deal with that sin. If I growing up my children if they disobeyed dad uh, they might have done something that was wrong, but I still was their dad. And it might require discipline, but I was still their dad. And I disciplined them because I loved them. Their disobedience didn't change the relationship. Their disobedience changed the fellowship. And so there wasn't as the closeness because they had disobeyed me. So what had to happen was they need to be dealt with and maybe uh, they need to be disciplined. And then they would say, sorry, Dad, and everything was all right. The Lord says, I'm your father. I love you. But when you as a Christian rebel against God, you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you're right. I confess. You're right. I sinned. And then the Lord says this in verse 9. If we confess our sins, that means agree with God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Isn't that a great verse? I don't know know about you. I know about you that you need that verse. I'm not sure about all of you that you use that verse, but I use that verse a lot of times. And as your pastor, I have to say, there's a lot of times I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. That thought wasn't right. That action wasn't right, whatever it might be, and you confess it to the Lord. And the Lord restores your fellowship. He cleanses you and brings back that fellowship, and that's so, so necessary for the child of God. So you have to come before the Lord with an honest heart. Then you have to come to the Lord before the Lord with a humble heart. Those usually go together, you know. When you stand before a holy God and you have sinned, that, it's humiliating. <laughs> and so, but you have to come with a humble heart. Isaiah 57, 15 says, A contrite and humble spirit. Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Proverbs 16, 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we've already quoted it. He says, Come with a, that we are to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. So humility is necessary. And then a hungry heart. So an honest heart, a, a humble heart, and a hungry heart. That means you really desire revival. You really desire for God to 
to work in your life. You really desire close fellowship with him. Psalm 81 is a wonderful psalm, and I want to read just a few verses there, in verse, beginning in verse 10. It says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, that's, yeah, that's it. Brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thou mouth, thou mouth, thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Uh, many Christians, you know, we are closed-mouthed Christians. Or we're, give me a little bit, Lord. <laughs> the Lord says, open your mouth wide, and I'll fill it. What's that mean? Well, open your mouth wide means you're, you're expecting blessings. I mean, you want everything. You want it all from the Lord. You want the best you can have from the Lord. And so he says, you're hungry for the Lord. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would, Israel would none of me. So I gave them up into their own heart's desire, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would hearken unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto them, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also in the fi- with the finest of wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. And the Lord's saying, I had so many things to give you, but you wouldn't. As one church father said many times, uh, many years ago, one of the early church fathers said, uh, the Lord wants to give us some things, but our hands are so full that we don't have room. We have so much that we, that we want and we take for ourselves and we, have, we don't really feel like we need anything from the Lord. And so the Lord doesn't give us what he, what he has for us. He could, could, could give us. Psalm 42 says this, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for the living God. Do we have a desire? Do we have a want? Do we have a hunger for the Lord? And God says we need to have that if we're going to have revival. And so then the final point is this, the effects of revival. So let's say revival comes. Let's say that God grants to us true revival as a church or as an individual. What can we expect? What are the effects of of revival? One effect, effect is this, sacrifice. That means not only that I sacrifice unto the Lord, I give up things to the Lord, I present them to the Lord, but also I, I sacrifice and say no to some things because I want the Lord who's much better than those things. Sacrifice. Sacrifice of our person. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Every Christian should come to the place where you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm yours, everything about me. That'll take care of all the bad habits. You know, all those habits of the flesh, that'll take care of it. When you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm yours. My body belongs to you. If my body belongs to you, I I submit it to you, Lord, and therefore I'll not do those bad things that hurt my body. And so you present your body to the Lord. Another sacrifice is the sacrifice of, um, of our plans. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's your own plans. 
but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So it will be directed paths from the Lord. So we sacrifice our plans. We might have said, but Lord, I have this plan for my life. I want to do this and this and this. And God says, no, I want you to follow me. You might not know what those plans are, but follow me. Trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Many times we come to that path in our life. You know, we have a decision to make. Should we go this way or this way? And our flesh says, oh, you'll be satisfied this way. And you know the Lord's saying, no, this is a hard path, but that's the path I want you to take. And so we follow the Lord. We sacrifice our plans. We also sacrifice our praise. That's something you actually give to the Lord. Hebrews 13, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Offer to him the sacrifice of praise, praising the Lord. Psalm 107, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 105, verse 6 says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. The sacrifice of praise. Are you offering that to the Lord? I mean, every day in your life, do you thank him? Do you thank him for the beautiful day? Do you thank him for the sunshine? Do you thank him for the rain? Do you thank him for your health? You see somebody walking down the, down the sidewalk and they can hardly move. They're just barely getting along. I saw that just the other day and I figured that guy's about the same age as I am. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my health. Do we offer the sacrifice of play, praise to the Lord? Many years ago in West Virginia, I used to listen to a preacher. Some of you might have remembered him. And it was in that, his name was Evangelist Oliver Green. And Evangelist Oliver Green uh, was an effective evangelist. He had a radio program. And uh, he, used to say something, he used to say this, and it's pretty blunt, but that's the way he was. And he said this, if you know the Lord and don't praise God, drop dead. <laughs> that's pretty blunt. <laughs> but he was saying this, if you know the Lord, you have so many blessings, and you don't praise God, I mean, you don't even need to be around. <laughs> You're a hindrance. Well, the Lord's more merciful than Oliver Green was. <laughs> He's more merciful than we are. And sometimes, even though we're rebellious, he keeps us around, but he still wants us to praise his name. Then there's the sacrifice of our purse. Oh, I tell you, if you could hear people's response on a Sunday morning, you would probably hear groans. Now, not all of you that way, I'm sure. And, uh, but there are some people who give to the Lord. I'd have no idea who they are. But there's some people who give to the Lord. If, if you could hear what the Lord hears, when they reach in their billfold or they pull out their checkbook, they're saying, oh, I sure don't want to do this, <laughs> but I guess I'm supposed to. And they write that check or they put that bill in the offering plate and they really don't want to. The Lord says, don't be that way. I mean, be thankful to the Lord and uh, sacrifice your purse to the Lord. Hebrews 13, or rather, Hebrews 13, verse 16 says, but to do good and communicate, that's to help one another. It's to, be, to do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. So when you give to somebody in need, you're sacrificing to the Lord. 
when you give to the Lord's work and at church and you tithe, you give to, give to the Lord, that's a sacrifice to the Lord. And when you are revived, that's going to happen. You'll be, you'll be more free to give than you were before. Once you've revived, and that, that'll, be, that'll be true. But also, then there's a sure change. Not only sacrifice, but change. Change will happen. I've summarized in these, these points. Revival will bring my want bring a change of my want for God. When you're revived, you'll want more of the Lord. You know, many times as Christians, we get sort of cold and indifferent, and we really don't want to read our Bibles. We don't really want to pray. We don't really want to witness. We don't want, really want to worship. But when God brings revival in your life, there'll be a change, and it'll be a change of your want for God. Psalm 63 says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. A great writer, C.S. Lewis, said it like this, the statement, we have, the statement we have all we want is a terrible statement if that all does not include God. That's a terrible statement if that all doesn't include God. You see, revival will make us want more of the Lord. Also, revival will change my walk with God. Walking with God involves various things. It involves talking to God. You know, if you're walking with God, God doesn't want you just to walk along and never say anything to him. I mean, you're walking with God, the, uni- the God of the universe, your Savior. You're walking with the Lord. Well, you want to talk to him. And how do we talk to him? We talk to him in prayer. And we make our request to the Lord. To the Lord, First uh, Thessalonians four seventeen says, "Pray without ceasing." So you're walking along with the Lord, and you're praying to God. You're talking to Him, and you're talking about what's on your mind. You're talking about the things you see, and you're talking about the things that you might desire. You're talking about some person you see, and and you know that they have needs. You're talking to the Lord all the time. You're praying without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So a walk with God involves talking to God. It also involves listening to God. Now, how do you listen to God? Some people say, well, I went out in the, in, in the garden, and I got so close to the Lord. I'm closer there than I, go, than I am, am when I go to church, and God just talks to me out there in the garden. Well, that's very limited. The only talk God will give you in the garden is to look around and, and say and, uh, and remind you, God made this. But if you want God to talk to you, he wrote a whole book of 66 books, and it's his word, and his word talks to us. So we talk to God, and we let God talk to us. We listen to God, and listening to God is very important. Psalm 1, verse, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but in his law doth he meditate day and night. And so you talk to the Lord, and you listen to the Lord by listening to his word. And then as you're talk, walking with the Lord, you're trusting God. And we've already quoted Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So walking with the Lord 
It's going to change. Your walk with the Lord is going to change when revival comes. There'll be more talking to the Lord. There'll be more listening to the Lord. There'll be more trusting to the Lord, of the Lord, and there'll be more obeying the Lord. And so we obey what God wants us to do, and it'll change our walk with God. It'll also change our worship of God. A believer who walks with God will be a person who worships, worships God. So the more you get to know him, the more you're impressed with how great he is. The more you'll use words like, I stand in wonder how good God is to me. How amazing. How amazing is his love. How amazing is his grace. You admire him. You add an admiration to him. You're in awe of him. You know, sometimes we use that word awesome. And I'm guilty of the same thing. Sometimes people have it. How was that steak? You say it was awesome. No, that steak wasn't awesome. That's a wrong use of that word. What does awesome mean? It means awe-inspiring. I've never eaten a steak that was awe-inspiring. I mean, it tastes good, yes. It was really good. But it wasn't awesome, even though I've used that sometimes. But when you talk about the Lord, now that's awesome. A friend of mine in Georgia the other day sent me a link, and it was a wonderful worship song uh, performed by the uh, church where David Jeremiah pastors. And they had the full orchestra and everything. Oh, it was, it was amazing. And I was so blessed. And I responded to him and I said, awesome. Now, that's the right use of the word. I mean, it brings awe when we think of the Lord. And when you are revived, it'll just change your worship of God. You'll, be, you'll think he's awesome. Reminds me of what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. And uh, Paul concluded his discussion there, and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor, who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, he was awe-inspired. He thought his God was awesome. Well, we serve the same God, and he is an awesome God. So we talk to the Lord, and, and when we experience revival, then it'll change the way we worship God. Revival will also change our worth to God. Did you know that if you're revived as a Christian, you're of more value to the Lord? I mean, God can't really use very much a person who's discouraged. The joy is gone. They're defeated. And, uh, you know, they're just not really on, on, on the right track with the Lord. And they're really not experiencing his joy. God can't use them very much. In fact, sometimes they become a stumbling block. I'm reminded of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He said, when the year when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he goes on to say he was impressed by how great God was and how righteous God was, and he said, woe is me, for I'm a man of sinful lips. I dwell in the midst of people the same way. But then he responded after being recognizing of his unworthiness, and the Lord says, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, I'll go, Lord. I'll go. And when we, are, when we are impressed with who God is and what he's done for us, 
It will change us. And we'll be more usable by the Lord. And so it changes our worth to God. It also changes my work for God. When we are yielded to the Spirit of God, He can use us for His glory. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so, if you're revived, you can do more for Jesus. And then finally, it'll change, revival will change your witness for God. You see, revived Christians shine brightly for Jesus Christ. In that passage in Philippians chapter 2, we won't look there right now, but the Lord says we're to live for Him, we're to trust Him, and we're to be what He wants us to be. And then He says, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. And so it'll change your witness for the Lord. Because when you're a revived Christian, you're more usable for the Lord, and God will use you in a great way to bring people to Jesus because of that. But then also there's some others, and that is it'll bring sweet unity. Philippians 2 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. I've heard of churches, I've been in a few churches, where it was very evident that they need revival. And what usually is characteristic of a church like that is there's divisions in the church. And people are griping about each other. Listen, beware of gossip. Don't believe something just because you heard it. Don't do that. What does that do? The devil uses those things and he comes in just to tear down the church. And revival meeting starts next Sunday. The devil would love to do something this week in this church to get you not to like one another, to get you to hear something about somebody else and change your opinion of them. The devil would use anything he can to tear down the unity of the church because unity is so important for God to work. But the result of, of revival is sweet unity. Also, spiritual joy. Psalm 85, verse 6, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Uh, a revived church, a revived people are a happy people. And he says, Revive us, Lord, so you, we can rejoice in you. And you remember David wrote the psalm in Psalm 51, talking about his his uh, his uh, bad his affair with Bathsheba and how he had sinned against God, and it broke his heart. And he realized he had displeased the Lord, and he he calls the enemies of Christ to, to, of God to blaspheme. And he said, "This restore unto me the joy of my salvation." Was David still a saved man? Yes, he was. But he was a defeated, discouraged man. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you're in need of a revival as a Christian, you have lost your joy. And God says revival will will result in the the restoring of your joy. And then also, revival will, 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 one of the effects of revival will be the salvation of the lost. I want you to turn to that passage in Psalm 51, and with this we'll close. But in Psalm 51, David's talking about that. We just mentioned, and he says in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then notice what he says. 
Then will I treat, teach transgressors their, thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I read an account by a great preacher uh, just yesterday, and he was telling about a past revival, I think it was in England. I don't remember the specifics, but he said because of that revival, things changed. He said bars shut down. And uh, places of ill repute involving the women shut down. And all across, across town, there was a difference made because revival had come. Now, let me ask you, did revival change the bar? Did revival change the place of ill repute? Did revival change? No, well, no, it didn't change them, but changed people, and people make those places thrive. <laughs> and people's lives were changed. And so revival comes to God's people. Revival, and one of the results is when God's people are changed, then they have a greater influence on others and they bring people to Jesus Christ. See, a byproduct of revival is the salvation of the lost because the Christian no longer is a stumbling block to others. The Christian now can boldly come to a person and tell them about Jesus with joy in their heart. And the person they're telling knows it's genuine. I mean, you can tell it. This person's different. And they listen, and they come to know Jesus. And because they come to know Jesus, it changes the whole society. If you have enough people, you know, in the moral area come to know Jesus, you'd see a change in moral. If you have enough people come to know Jesus downtown Cincinnati, you'd see a change at nighttime in downtown Cincinnati. Why? Because God works in people and he changes their life as Christians and then we become effective witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ and the result is the salvation of the lost. The question today is, do we really want what we ask for at the beginning of the message? Lord, Will you revive us? Lord, please revive us. If we really want that, then we need to take heed to what we've said this morning, and may God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the word of God, which gives us such clear instruction, Lord. And I pray that we as God's people will desire revival. I pray, Lord, that we would desire to be used of you in a greater way than we have before. May we desire your presence, your conversation from the word of God. May we desire to talk to you more. May we desire to tell you others about you more. Lord, I pray you'd bring revival to our church. Begin it with me, Lord, because I don't want to be proud and say I don't need revival because I do. And I just pray, Lord, that you might bring revival to us and the result would be a change of our life, but also, Lord, people will come to know Jesus. We commit this coming week of revival, or next week, to you, and we ask that you might prepare us this week. And, Lord, today, if there's somebody who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray at the invitation time today they would come and receive you. We ask in Jesus' name.